And good morning, everybody. I am Brandon, one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us right here in the sanctuary or online, we are so glad you decided to spend a bit of your Arctic deep freeze Sunday here with us. We are learning in this new January series how to deal with difficult people. Now, last week, we were reminded that Christ loves you, Christ loves me, and at times, you and I are very difficult. So we sincerely love others through prayer and through acts, literally doing things for them, showing them that Jesus loves them too. It is our challenge, it is our command from Jesus to love others. Today, we dive into genuine hate. Now hate is such a strong word. And I was pondering earlier this week, what do I hate? And the first thing that jumped into my mind, mushrooms. I hate mushrooms. I have other fellow mushroom haters in the room. Whenever we order Supreme Pizza at the house, I always make sure to order it without mushrooms. I order it without those weird, squishy, textured food. Now, even when I'm cooking, I prefer not to use cream of mushroom soup as a base. I try to substitute it out for something else. Now, once when I was a teenager, my friend and I were cooking spaghetti, and he, of course, had to have mushrooms in his spaghetti. So what is a guy to do that doesn't like mushrooms? I magically made them disappear from the grocery bag and did not mention that they vanished. Unfortunately, I'm not a very good magician, and he found my mushroom hiding place on a chair on a lazy boy in the living room. 25 years later, he still pokes fun at me for that move, but it almost worked. I really don't like mushrooms. I hate mushrooms. Corey and I, earlier this week, were at a pastor's retreat, and as we were driving, I got to thinking of another thing I hate. I hate driving slow. I want to make good time while traveling on the highway, which, by the way, Corey, he makes very good time when he's driving. Now, when on a road trip, my goal is to make a good, good time with as few stops as possible. Now, one of the hardest transitions for me to make with kids was the fact that they had to stop so often, especially when they're little. So many stops for the bathroom and diaper changes and that little kid toilet. I hate going slow. Now, so many of us like to make good time, i.e. drive fast and break the law. When it happens that we get pulled over, are we upset at the fact that we broke the law? No, we're not. We're upset that we got caught speeding, not the fact that we were speeding. We're going to evaluate how and where we got the ticket. We're probably going to make a mental note that, okay, they like to catch people at that spot. And we're going to try to find different ways to not speed and not get caught than rather decide, you know what, maybe I should just stop breaking the law and I won't get caught anymore. We hate the consequences of speeding, not the fact we were speeding. A couple of years ago, a few people in a California city council meeting were caught on a hot mic talking very poorly about one of their fellow counselors and their child. Now, when they were caught, did they apologize for those harsh and inappropriate words and say sorry? Of course not. They were upset. They were livid that they were recorded and they were caught. They were not upset about the words they said. They were upset about the fact somebody caught them doing it. Friends, talk about the human condition. We don't hate the actions that cause harm to others. We hate the fact we were caught. We don't hate the fact that we did them, but we hate that we were caught. How dare you hold me accountable to the words that I say? Man, we really are difficult people to deal with, aren't we? 
Let's jump into the scripture to see what it means to hate genuinely and how God deals with us, how God deals with us in our human condition. You can open up your Bibles to Romans 12, verse 9, if you want to follow along. You can follow along in your own Bible on your favorite device, or it'll be up here on the screen with me. Now, a quick reminder, Paul is the first century church planter and tent maker. He's a blue-collar worker who wrote this in much of your New Testament. This is one of his last letters. He's encouraging Christians living under Roman occupation how to live and move in a world with those who follow Jesus and with those who don't. You know, when we deal with difficult people at work, at home, at school, Paul's writing to a group of people whose difficult people included occupying soldiers who could just arrest them for their faith and see them sent to be eaten by lions for entertainment in the city. Paul's words have a greater effect on me knowing just how vastly different and dangerous the world of the first century was. Let's see what Paul's advice was to them and to us here in 2024. Paul writes, don't just pretend to love others, really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Let's say it together. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. That first half of the verse, that was our challenge from last week. Now, Paul wants us to hate what is wrong. Your translation might say, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Those are incredibly powerful words, hate and evil. Does Paul want us to hate difficult people? Are difficult people evil? Now notice, Scripture does not say hate who is wrong. It says hate what is wrong. That is an important distinction. In the very first book of our Bibles in Genesis, we're reminded every human being is made in the image of God. Every single one of us who has ever lived, living today, and will live. Every human is worthy of God's love, of Jesus's love, and of our love. That's the first part of this passage for us to really genuinely love other people. Not just pretend that we love them, but actually truly love them through our prayers and our actions. But people are difficult. People do stupid things. Who among us has not done a stupid and difficult thing before? We are called, we're commanded to sincerely love others and to hate wrong actions. It's very difficult to love people when they speak poorly of us, when they malign our character, when they attack our family and friends. We can hate their words, absolutely. We can hate the actions people take, but we are not allowed to hate people. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus said it. God said it first really early in your Bible. God does not give us the option to hate people. Jesus doesn't give us that option. We are to sincerely love others, and we hate some actions people take. Now, for the majority of us, we do this all the time with one particular difficult person. There is one person in all of our lives that we do this with. We love them unconditionally, and we hate some of the actions we take. That's ourselves. We do this all the time with ourselves. We're difficult. You and I do dumb things. We do things we hate. And then we show ourselves grace. We show ourselves grace and forgiveness. Yep, I messed up that time. Let's try to do it better this time. 
We can show lots of grace and forgiveness to ourselves, but have a really hard time extending that grace and forgiveness to other people. When they wrong us, when they speak poorly about us, when they make our lives a little bit more difficult. God has lavished, drowned us in grace and forgiveness through Jesus, and we're expected to extend that to others, sincerely loving other people and sometimes hating the actions that they make. Jesus tells a great story to illustrate this point. He said, once there was a king who decided to settle up accounts with his servants. As this king got underway, one servant was brought in who'd run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, his children, his goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself to the king's feet and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. Touched by the plea, the king let him off, erasing his $100,000 debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance, I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged. They brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? You were forgiven $100,000. You couldn't forgive $10? The king was furious, put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that is exactly, Jesus says, what my Father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who does not unconditionally forgive anyone who asks for mercy. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do to any one of us who does not forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. Boom, Jesus with the mic drop moment at the end of the story. Anyone who asks for mercy gets it, and we must forgive. I'll say it again. Anyone who asks for mercy gets it, and we must forgive. Friends, we have been forgiven greatly, and we have been shown an incredible amount of grace. Now we should go and do it likewise in our own lives, in people's lives. Unable to forgive others, and unable to show the same grace God has given us draws other people away from God. We should hate whatever pulls us away from God. Hate what draws you away from God and cling to the grace that brings you back to God. Hate what draws you away from God. Cling to the grace that brings you back to God. Now, for some of us, we've got the opposite problem. We have no problem showing all kinds of grace and forgiveness to other people. It is ourselves we can't show grace to. We have a hard time forgiving ourselves. We have a way harder time forgiving ourselves, forgiving ourselves for getting a lower grade in school or misspeaking to some friends or messing up on a project at work. We are our own worst enemy. Friends, the same grace the same forgiveness you show others, you need to show it to yourself. It's time to show it to yourself. 
Brennan Manning was a priest, an author, and a speaker. He died about 10 years ago in 2013. And for his entire life, he struggled with alcoholism, battling it over and over again, this demon of addiction. He was uncomfortably transparent. He was beautifully vulnerable about his weaknesses and failures. And because of that, he is a beautiful teacher about God's scandalous grace. In one of his most popular books, The Ragamuffin Gospel, he reveals the absolute power and the brilliance of God's grace for every single one of us. This is the introduction in Manning's words. He writes, The Ragamuffin Gospel was written for the bedraggled, the beat up, and the burnt out. It is for the sorely burdened who are still shifting their heavy suitcase from one hand to the other. It's for the wobbly and weak need who, don't, who know they don't have it all together, and they are too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. It's for the inconsistent, unsteady disciples whose cheese is falling off the cracker. You ever had those days? It's for the poor, weak, sinful men and women with hereditary faults, limited talents. It's for the earthen vessels who shuffle along with feet of clay. It's for the bent and the bruised who feel that their lives are a grave disappointment to God. It's for the smart people who know they are stupid and the honest disciples who admit they are scallywags. The Ragamuffin Gospel is a book I wrote for myself and anyone who's grown weary and discouraged along the way. Friends, is that not all of us? Don't we all feel like scallywags at times? May we all be set free from our guilt and our shame and find rest, find restorative rest in the unchanging, unfathomable, unconditional love and grace of God. Just as you lavish grace and forgiveness upon others, God wants you to do the same in your own life. Being too hard on yourself, holding yourself to unrealistic expectations, showing grace to others, not to yourself, can absolutely pull you away from God. Hate what draws you away from God. Cling to grace that brings you back to God. For those of us who want to be people that genuinely hate what draws us away from God, we have to stop snacking on the things that do. Just a little taste of it won't hurt anyone. You know, we know what happens to our physical health if we snack all of the time. Years ago, I discovered the deliciousness that is a bag of all-natural Cheetos. Now, this is not the red bag of Cheetos you're most familiar with. It's a quote-unquote healthier option. It's a vanilla-looking Cheeto, and whatever they did to it, you cannot have just one. You can have one bag at a time, but you literally open the bag and you cannot stop snacking. You cannot stop eating. It's one of those snacks that you can eat in one sitting and pay for it for the rest of the week. Just a little bit of this snack can be dangerous. Now, in our walk with Jesus, just a little snack of gossiping, slandering somebody else, we think it certainly can't hurt anybody. We can slander a little bit of a counselor and a child in a city council meeting, right? Just a little bit of sliding into the DMs, the direct messages of someone I knew 20 years ago cannot possibly hurt my marriage, right? And my spouse doesn't need to know about it. Know this, and it's true for you, whether or not you're single or you're married. Friends, you are only as sick as your secrets. Regardless of our relationship status, we work to be emotionally healthy followers of Jesus and friends in all aspects of our lives. We are only as sick as the secrets that we keep. 
You know, just a little bit of talking about someone when they're, not, when they're not around to defend themselves, man, certainly that can't hurt anybody. Just a little bit of greed, holding back the generosity we know God is calling us to, certainly that can't hurt anyone. Holding on to just a little bit of bitterness, just snacking on a little bit of bitterness, come on, that can't hurt me. It's going to hurt the other person instead, right? This is like the person who found termites in their house. Once they found their termites, they told their spouse, oh, that's totally fine. We can coexist with termites, no problem. We don't have to call an exterminator. We can live together just fine. What's going to happen to that house? It's going to collapse. You can't have termites living in your house. Thing is going to come down around you. Friends, sometimes just something can just like a little something can absolutely rotten the foundation of a house. It can also rotten the foundation of our faith. Just snacking a little bit on gossip or slander or bitterness can absolutely rotten our faith and leads us away from the abundant and flourishing life Jesus has for us. Hate what draws you away from God. Cling tightly, hold tightly to grace that brings you back to God. So there are two things we can do to cling to that grace that God has there for us. First, clearly, we need to stop snacking on what draws us away from God. We need to cling to what is good at all times. And what is good is that humans, all humans everywhere and for all time, they are saved and loved by God's grace and is just there ready for us to say, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord. Even when I'm hating all the bad things in my life I'm choosing, I must still love myself and I must still love the other humans around me. We need to replace our snacking on the wrong things with something better much like your doctor or your nutritionist will tell you. We need to replace our bad habits drawing us away from God with things that will draw us closer to God. If we're tempted to gossip about somebody this week, let's work to replace it by speaking well of others. Or if we can't find something kind to say about someone else, then let's simply not engage in the conversation at all. It's the thumper principle from Bambi, right? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. There is truth. If we're tempted to connect with somebody who's not our spouse and feel this kind of secretive nature behind us, we make sure our spouse has all of our passwords to our social media accounts and they can hold us accountable. If we're holding on to bitterness, which is clearly holding us back from God's work in our lives, we take that bitterness to God in prayer. We work through it with a pastor, a therapist, a counselor, somebody who can help us release it. So we're not clinging on to these things. So we're not clinging on to the bad things, but only what is good. If we're trending toward greed and not generosity in our lives, we work to find ways to give again, to re-engage that generosity muscle, to invest in places and people beyond ourselves on a mission that is way greater than we can accomplish by ourselves. Maybe replace our snacking on the wrong things by building up practices that cling to the good. And we know these things. We connect to Jesus here in worship, in Bible study, in prayer, in meditation. We need to stop snacking on the things that pull us away from God. Second and last, if you want to hate well, you've got to love better. It's kind of a funny thing for a pastor to say, right? If you want to hate well, you've got to love better. That's what this Romans 12 passage gives us. We must be a people of sincere love. 
And as we love ourselves, as we love our neighbors more completely, more fully, we're going to recognize what to hate, not who to hate, but to hate what pulls us and others away from God so we can cling to what draws us to God. And as we love ourselves and others more completely, more fully, we're going to see the actions in ourselves that we hate, that we can work to replace with better habits, with healthier habits that cling to the good and draw us closer to Jesus. So friends, may we stop snacking and may we love better so we can know what to hate. Let's bow for a moment in prayer together. As as your heads are bowed, as your eyes are closed, I invite you to lay your palms open on your lap as we invite the Holy Spirit to do a deep work in us to help us hate what is wrong and to cling to what is good. Loving God in Jesus, you have shown us that true religion consists of peace and joy in your Holy Spirit. True religion means loving you with our whole being and loving our neighbors as ourselves. May we do all that we can, Jesus, help us to repent. Everything begins in our acknowledgement of our brokenness, our lack of trust in you, and your willingness to save us. Help us to acknowledge our repentance so we can then, Jesus, trust you. Everything comes to life in our believing your good news. Help us to move in our lives from belief in the truth of the Bible and the creeds, from our knowledge about you and your ways, to a sure trust, to a complete confidence in your pardoning mercy. Through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, you revealed your vision of what life is meant to be. And if we root our lives in that vision, united with Christ, Then we find peace and joy, and your love fills our hearts. It is in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.